Hi and welcome to Shaky's Sports Journeys. Appreciate you joining us again. I uh, just want to mention that this episode is sponsored by Duck and Run Cricket. You can find them on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And please do subscribe to the channel Shaky Sports Journeys on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes and Apple as well. Thanks for that. Today's guest, prolific left-handed uh, classical batsman, I would like to call him. Played in all formats for South Africa. Really, really top player. Mr. JP Dumini, welcome. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Big shout out as well to uh, Shane Berger, current Scotland coach, who kindly put me in touch with you, Mr. Dumini. Are we in safe hands yes, in Scotland? <laughs> Say again? Are we in safe hands with Shane in Scotland? Uh, it's a tough one to say, eh? I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, no, I well, think you yeah, I think you certainly are. You definitely are. He's a good man, a great coach. I've gotten to uh, rub shoulders with him over the last two years uh, in a bit of a business venture that we uh, explored, um, but got to know him more importantly, and that was the, the standout. And he's a man full of integrity, and you know he's got he's got the right ambitions in terms of a coach, in my view at least. Uh, so I'm sure there's going to be some great success with Scotland. Yeah, no, listen, so far so good. Comes across like a great, great guy, very engaging. So long may it continue. Wish him, wish him all the best. So normally what I do, JP, is I normally take my guests all the way back to the start of life. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to skip some of that because I actually met you at um, a stage of life. I'm sure you won't remember me. You know, it was, uh, it was many years ago and you've met, met many people since then. But I remember it very well. I was over. If you, if you uh, had that Scotland, if, if you had that Scottish accent, then I'm pretty sure I would remember you. So I'm not sure. Well, put it this way: they all thought I was a Cape coloured in Cape Town until I spoke. Everyone was like, "Oh, they, they would take a second look at me, like, where the hell is this guy from?" Um, so I was over there with the current Scotland captain, Kyle Kutzer. Uh, we yes. were both playing for Cape Town Cricket Club. Um, and also okay. part of the Western Promise Academy. So on that team, you had the likes of Fudgy for Hambardine. Yes. Yes. Uh, Ahmed Majid was our captain. And then you had uh, crazy guys like Mario Olive here. I don't know if you remember Mario, the fast Yeah, I remember Mario. Yeah, I remember. Character, him. character. Now, we got to come and do some bowling in the Newlands mm-hmm. Nets from times to time, which was like a dream come true, because just to give some context to this, the Nets were filled by the likes of Jack Callis, Asheville Prince, Herschel Gibbs, um, <clears throat> Graham Smith. I remember a guy called Puttick as well, who was in amongst that, yeah. that batting lineup. And Puttick, yeah. But the one day I remember well is you were padding up, about to go in for a net, and there was this buzz around you. You know, the, the, all the academy boys were chatting about you. They were like, this guy, he's going to be the, he's the next big thing. I could see mm-hmm. there was a nice camaraderie between you and the senior players as well. Before we go into it and ask you about that time of life, I do need to re- re- refresh your memory. I was bowling little left arm outswingers at about 73 miles per hour, I reckon. And I happened to get your good self and Ashwell Prince out. Ashwell Prince went nuts. He was like, this wicket is terrible. This is not good for practice. <laughs> uh, but I had to had to get that in there. But for you, around that time of life, mate, what, what a time of life to be coming in to rub shoulders with all those guys. It certainly was. And... Uh... You know, it, it was an ebb and flow in terms of the experience. I'll tell you why. Because uh, I was obviously still under 19 at that time. And I 
I had my ambitions set on making the under 19 World Cup team. And in 2001, uh, yeah, that was the year that was the World Cup year. And obviously, it's the previous year, really, that, that sort of the performances that you put in in the year 2000 is what warrants you a spot in, in the 2001 and 19 World Cup team. And I just had the most horrific year. Like, I just couldn't get the ball off the square. I think uh, the under 19 week, the provincial week that we played in, I think I, my highest score was about 25. And unfortunately, because of that uh, dreadful year, I didn't make the World Cup team. And, you know, I, I was playing really well up until that point. But unfortunately, it just didn't go my way. But why I say it was an ebb and flow is... The time when the 19 World Cup team was in New Zealand, because that's where it was, it was around February in 2001. And uh, Australia then toured uh, South Africa, the, the main team. And obviously they were, they were gearing up to play against South Africa in a test series. And the, quite a few of the provincial guys got picked for the South African A-side that was then going to be the sort of warm-up game for Australia to play uh, in the Test Series eventually. And because of that selection, there was about four players in the Western Province side that made that South African A side, which then opened up opportunities for other players. And that's actually, that's actually how I made my debut. So, yeah, that's, that's the ebb and flow of it. Uh, and I ended up playing actually my debut for Western Province senior team with my heroes, you know, Gary Kirsten ended up playing, Herschel Gibbs ended up playing, as well as your colors. And yeah, I was as a young 17-year-old, you know, making my debut for Western Province with the legends of South African cricket. And I'll tell you a funny story there. So because they were coming, the South African team came back from a tour somewhere, I'm not sure where they were. And uh, they did not practice with us leading up to that game because they, they came in from tour. So all they did pretty much was just arrive the start of the game and just fill in. And Peter Kirsten was the coach, which is Gary Kirsten's brother, elder brother. And because I was obviously 17, I was very shy around these guys and, uh, you know, nobody introduced me to them. So I had not met, uh, I'd met Herschel Gibbs before, but I had not met Gary Kirsten, Jacques Callis. And, you know, I was just kind of standing in my, or sitting in my own corner, not minding my own business. And we ended up winning the toss. We batted first. And this is the entire day one went past, right? And still, I had not spoken to them a word. Even though we warmed up together, we in the same team room, uh, no words being spoken. The next day, day two, I come out to bat at number six. Gary Kirsten is on 200, not out. And I walk out to bat. And uh, he then looks up at the scoreboard and he sees Dumini. He then has to ask the, the on-field umpire to radio to the third umpire to ask what my name was. <laughs> so, that, so that was the very first time that we met. We met in the middle. It was, hey, Gary, hi, JP, nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> that was on day two of the game. Uh, well, it, it is interesting, like myself and Gary, we're extremely close now. Uh, but often when we together in social circles, we share that story as a funny story. Uh, yeah, so that was my first time of meeting some of the greats of South African cricket. Great story, great story. <laughs> and obviously, great that your friendship went on from there. You didn't upset him or run him out or anything like that. So it was uh, it was all good. 
No, I didn't last very long. I only scored about 18. He ended up about 240. Uh, so I didn't stay long enough to upset anyone. <laughs> good, good, good. I'm glad to hear it. And your relationship has blossomed since then. You did very, very well in domestic cricket to start with. You, you, you had two really, really powerful years. Um, did you just take, you know, what, what was the secret to that? Was it a matter of learning from the guys that you were around um, and, and you yourself personally, did you feel, did you just take to that level comfortably? Because sometimes players don't always transition that well from under-19 cricket into senior cricket. Mm. Yeah, I guess I was just very fortunate to transition really well. Uh, had good people around me, no doubt, some good coaches. And I think about, you know, the players that I played with. And that, that time in, in domestic cricket, Western Province particularly, was was one of the the, the stronger uh, franchise sides or, or, or provincial sides back then and had some some outstanding players. Neil Johnson, H.D. Ackerman, Asheville Prince. Asheville was probably a pivotal uh, player uh, in my career as a youngster coming in. We played for the same uh, cricket club, local cricket club back home. And he pretty much took me under, under his wing to make sure that, that I was keeping in line with what was needed. Uh, but but all of those guys played a pivotal role. And I just, as a youngster, fitted in really well where you had all these senior guys performing at the top of their game and you just had the freedom to go out and express yourself. There wasn't a massive expectation that, you know, you needed to be the man to score the runs or to be the match winner. And even though, fortunately, those moments happened, uh, I just had this this unique ability to come in and, and just fee, feel free to guide and, and express myself, which was great. And, you know, those are the type of environments you want to grow and, and learn your game is, is around guys that really understand who they are as players, um, a, a great culture, a great history of, of great players coming through Western Province. And it was a real privilege to to be able to be part of that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I was surrounded by great people, which which really helped. So, as I said, you did very well um, in your early domestic career. We've seen you get a, a call-up to the ODI team in 2004 where you played against Sri Lanka. What a proud moment for you, your family. Um, were you expecting the call? Was it on, was it on the horizon? I must be honest, I, I, I don't think it was. Uh there was there was a few murmurs about the, the possibility of it, but as a twenty year old, you don't think that that's going to happen really. And when I got the call from the convener of selectors, which was Omar Henry at the time, I remember well, it fondly. We love, we love we love Omar over here. We love. I Omar believe so. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he gave me a call to tell me the the news, and I remember it that day, man. I was sitting in the in the lounge of our house, feeling like almost in a bubble, you know, like this disbelief of this can't be true, really, at age 20. And obviously then, you know, sharing that moment with my family and friends and we celebrated and, and enjoyed the whole experience, which was great. And, and eventually then ended up in the national team. But that experience in itself on a personal level and, and cricketing uh, experience wasn't my best. Uh, I must be honest, you know, and it was largely because of myself. It, it wasn't it wasn't the environment necessarily. It wasn't the people I was around. It was just the fact that I had not understood how uh, what a big jump it was from provincial level to international level. 
you know. And, you know, I, I was naturally a very talented player, gifted player. But one thing that wasn't, wasn't natural was hard work. And I, I sort of relied on that natural talent more than actually understanding at that level, you need to marry the two. And I got found out, you know, I, I wasn't up to standard in terms of international cricket now, up to standard in terms of the fitness levels and, and you know, just the basic understanding of, of what is needed at that level. So I found myself in a space where it wasn't enjoyable because, one, I didn't score any runs. Two, I could see that, you know, the standard was so much higher than, than what I thought it would be that I, I needed to, to see a mental shift. And like I said, the experience wasn't great in that the team didn't do very well, but also personally, I didn't do very well. So literally one tour then got left out for about two and a half years. But in that two and a half period, two and a half year period, I realized that, or there was a stage actually where I thought myself, I don't want to play cricket anymore because of that experience. But then I realized, you know, it's not just about me giving up here. I, I need, I'm, I'm needing to understand that that in itself, the fact that I got picked so early was actually a gift. And the reason I say that was a gift, I got a glimpse of what it was like to play in that environment and what the expectations and standards were. And if I wanted to get back there, I needed to change certain habits. I needed to change my mindset. Uh, so in that two and a half year period, uh, it was a time of real soul searching, you know, a time of real introspection in, right, who am I as a player? Who am I as a person? And do I really have the, the grit and the determination to get back there? And, and that was hard because, you know, the very next year after that year of getting selected, I then went to the National Academy. And I remember fondly, the question was asked, what do I want to achieve out of the Academy? And my answer was, I want to find the love for the game again. Because that whole experience was one where I lost the love. I lost the reason why I started playing. And I wasn't enjoying it. So that was a great experience of four months where having great conversations with good people, training a lot harder, training differently. And, and that was sort of the upward curve to, to get back to the national team. And then I made the, the ODI team again, uh, sort of late 2006. And that's where things got, you know, a little bit better because I understood it now. Uh, and there was a greater understanding of what needed to to happen to to sustain a career there so then 2007 came uh played a few more games for south africa and then it led into 2008 which was probably the turning moment in my international career which was then the the test opportunity against australia late 2008 yeah yeah so that was that was a, probably a, a pivotal moment in my career where it was kind of like your arrival on the global stage. And that was that was real turnaround. It was indeed very interesting to hear more about the backstory. Sorry, JP, I'm just going to close this window. Um, no very interesting to hear about the backstory because I didn't know that you'd yeah. faced, you know, adversity in your early international career um, mm. and, and could have gone either way. There's probably a lot of players mm. like you, similar to you, that may have slipped away from the game around that point. Yeah. But you, you have got us to a great point. 2008, I remember this this series very well. 
because this mm. was like a, a heavyweight boxing contest. South Africa going to Australia. Australia not being beaten for 16 years on home turf. But if anybody can beat them right now, the South Africans have got a chance. You know, they've got a strong bowling attack. Dale Steyn was right in his, in his peak. And then there's, a, there's two fresh-faced youngsters coming into the yeah. test match. Um, two guys that have gone on to do fantastically well. Yourself and uh, Mr. A.B. de Villiers, he's not a bad player. Um, you guys uh, you guys were actually, I remember watching it live. You saved the first test with 100 partnership. Um, you got 50. I imagine A.B. was, was 50 plus as well. Yeah, you got 100. You got, you got 100, there you go. Um, yeah. You were up against the greats, but there seemed at the end to be quite a bit of respect because they could, I'd imagine they would have came hard at you that day, the Aussies. I mean, I, I think um, some of the words, etc., exchanged on that pitch wouldn't have been uh, wouldn't have been the most friendly. Yeah. But you boys fought hard. But take me back to that moment and what was going through your head when you're at the wicket. You know, you you, you sound like you were a lot maturer as a batsman and as a cricketer at this point. Yeah, I have to almost go back a little bit to the context of the Test side. So <clears throat> that that earlier that year. Uh, we had also beaten England in England, which I, I didn't play. Uh, I was I was part of the twelve man squad, but but I had travelled with the Test side for about twelve months, you know, not getting an opportunity to play. Rightly so, because the side was performing so well. They had beaten Pakistan in Pakistan a few months before that, uh, for the first time in Test cricket, and and then went to England and beat England in England. Uh, and now the the great uh, opportunity to to go and play against Australia in Australia, and uh, I was also not meant to play in that first test. And uh, it was actually just the day before the start of the first test where Ashwell Prince got hit on his thumb in the nets. And uh, I remember fondly I was catching balls in the middle uh, for Paul Harris, who was our left arm spinner. And generally what happens the day before the test match, uh, the guys that are going to play, you know who's going to play, they get sort of first preference in terms of their preparation. So the guys that are the 12th men are generally there as a support. So that's why I was catching out in the middle. And I see uh, Mickey Arthur, who was our coach at the time, coming running from the nets into the middle, uh, basically telling me, listen, I need to go get ready and padded up. Uh, Ashwell got hit in the net, in the finger. We're not sure what's going to happen with him. Uh, you need to prepare like you, you're possibly going to play. And all of a sudden, like my heart rate literally went from 70 or 80 to 180, like in five <laughs> seconds. Anyway, went to the nets, you know, battered and so forth. Uh, but at, at no point during that evening was it confirmed that I was going to play. Because uh, they wanted to give Ashwell the best opportunity to see how it's going to play up uh, his finger, that is, the next day and so forth. Anyway, uh, the night went on, didn't really sleep very well. The next morning, about 6 a.m., I get a message from Ashwell saying, listen, it doesn't look good. So if he gets, if I get an opportunity, he just wants to wish me well, know that I'm, I'm ready, I'm good enough for this opportunity and so forth. Which was great because, like I told you earlier, Ashwell was somebody that was a mentor to me as a young player. And here I was now coming in in his position necessarily. And that was his take on it. You know, he wanted to see me flourish and do well. But it was only literally till 
an hour before the start of play that it was confirmed because they gave Astral an injection just before, um, like during the warm-ups, to numb it and to see whether he could hit hit some balls and how did that feel. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. So, yeah, an hour before, Graham Smith came to me and said, right, you're playing. <laughs> and, and, yeah, that was the experience. Uh, went and did the anthems. Great moment. Packed crowd at the Wacker. First innings experience wasn't a great one. Bounced out by, by Mitchell Johnson. Uh, he, I think he took like eight for 70 in his first innings or something. Yeah, he bounced quite a few of us out. Anyway, we needed to then chase 440 to win the game in the, in the fourth innings. And it was a great start by Graham. I think Graham might have got 100. Neil McKenzie was the opening batter. Jacques Hullis maybe got 70. And then I walked out to bat uh, on day five with 100 runs to win. And we were four down, obviously, me batting number six. And I obviously passed Jacques Callas as he came out. And he just murmured to me, go make history. And that was a pivotal moment. And uh, obviously, uh, A.B. de Villiers was out in the middle, uh, having played with A.B. under 19, and we were very good mates. Uh, it was just a extraordinary experience, you know. And I remember Andrew Simons from Australia, he met me about halfway on the field. And he's a, he's a massive guy, like yeah. in stature, right? And he walked next to me all the way from about halfway on the field, all the way to the wicket. But he didn't say a word. He just walked next to me and looked. And I, I mean, I was so intimidated by that because here's this guy like six foot five walking next to me. <laughs> but anyway, we, we came in the middle together and... I remember A.B. just telling me, hey, man, we got nothing to lose here. We're here we two youngsters up against the Aussies. Let's go out and enjoy this moment. And we got bounced. We got yorked. We got spoken to. and But somehow we got through it, you know, and we put together this 100-run partnership. And fortunately, I, was, I had the, the opportunity to hit the, the, to hit the winning runs uh, against Mitchell Johnson, which then also got me to 50 not out. So it was a memorable experience, one that I'll never forget. That innings must, but you know, you talk about the adversity you faced. That is a coming of age innings. You must have taken, I mean, your teammates must have had confidence in you now that this lad, mm. he's not just a bright hope, he's got it. Mm. And you must mm. have personally felt like, I'm, I'm ready for this now. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's always going to be that, that sort of fear and doubt because you're coming up against such a formidable side. But because of where we were as a, as a test side, there was definitely this uh, sort of under, underlying confidence and belief in, in who we were. Uh, the culture was really going in the right direction. The team was really performing well. There was, there was a trust uh, in one another's ability and talents and, and belief that whoever was out in the middle could do the job for the team. And even though... I was on my debut. AB was only playing for about two, three years and was still young in itself. There was this belief that these two guys can get us over the line. And, and you know, fortunately we did so. Uh, AB scored 100, I got a 50. It was just, uh, like I said, a memorable experience. Uh, one that both of us, and I think all of us, will, will never forget. And, and, and seeing the joy in the change room afterwards and the appreciation for the work that you did you know, from the senior guys that you looked up to for so many years. 
uh, to appreciate your performance was, was really awesome. Sounds like a, a, an unbelievable moment. And the reason I say it must have matured you and made you believe that you, you were belonged at that level is because of what you did in the next test match. Um, you found yourself probably under pressure again in the next mm. test because you found a partner, a very strange partner that most people wouldn't have, you know, put down that, you know, JP Dumini and, uh, and Dale Stain are going to come to the crease, put on a 180 partnership and, and you know, you scored 166. Mm. Like that's uh, it's so early in your test career, you know, first two tests, that was mm. an unbelievable start that you had. And, and obviously it, it led to what was going to become a, a memorable historical test series victory for South Africa and Australia after 16 years. How you must have been seeing the ball like a football that day. And again, it, it was an experience where I wasn't actually sure whether I was going to play in that second test because I just thought, well, I'm replacing Asheville. I mean, he was at the top of his game as well. And uh, I just thought he would come back in, uh, not knowing the full extent of his injury because there was still a, a sort of belief that he might come in and play the second test. And eventually the day before, again, they tried to see whether he was going to be fit enough and it didn't work out. And I just continued this mindset of, well, I'm just going to try and give my best for this, this side and with this opportunity because I always believed that, that Ashwell was going to come back. And, yeah, we just found ourselves in all sorts of trouble, you know, five down pretty early. Um, who was it? I think it was Paul Harris that also scored about 30-odd uh, we scored maybe we got maybe about a 50 round partnership at the back end there and then myself and Dale I mean I can't explain to you how crazy it was uh, for us to put that partnership together fortunately and I say fortunately uh, Brett Lee got injured so they they only had I think it was Peter Siddle who was playing his day was on his debut uh, and then there was Mitchell Johnson obviously so they ended up having to use Mike Hussey as their third seamer as well as their spinner. Because generally, if you think historically how uh, how Australia shaped their bowling attack was always three seamers and a spinner. That's just how things worked out. And then, uh, yeah, Brett Lee got injured. He uh, broke his toe. So it, it was a subdued bowling attack, but still a formidable one where Peter Siddle was on debut and he was bowling close up to 150. And uh, things, a few things went our way, you know, a few drop catches, uh, which played in our favor. But again, there, there was just this amazing order around the experience of playing at the MCG. You know, day one, we bowled first and there was close to 80,000 people. It was a deafening noise, you know, and the experience of it as a 24-year-old is, is, is unbelievable. And when I came to the crease, you know, the... People speak of in-the-zone moments. That, that was definitely one of it. Where even though the bowlers were bowling 145 plus, it felt like it was 130. I just felt like I had so much time. It felt like this pitch was so long that he's bowling from 40 yards. You know, it's, it's a weird experience. And then, you know, just the partnership grew, the partnership grew. And the constant conversation that we had during breaks was let's just try and see how close we can get to their score. And that was the target, particularly like overnight as well. Day two, we had a conversation before and let's try and get as close as we, we can. Even if we're 80 and short of this score, you know, we're still in the game. 
And in the end, I think we were over 100 runs ahead of them because of the partnership we, we put together. And, yeah, we broke the back of them. And in the end, I think we needed to score 180 to, to win the game. And we got it with one wicket down, which such a such a great moment in South African cricket history where no team has gone to Australia and beaten Australia in the Test Series. And, uh, yeah, that year was just truly special. This was all under... Um... Would have been under Graham Smith's captaincy that that, that yep. period of time. Yep. It was a formidable time. I mean, I remember when he got the captaincy at a very young age, there was mm-hmm. a lot of doubters out. But what he did as a leader um, for yep. South Africa through those years was incredible. Um, I'm going to leapfrog forward a little bit now. You know, great great time of your career. Really, really interesting to to hear your your mm. your views on it, and you know, the, taking you back to that headspace. I can only imagine at 6 a.m. when you read Ashville Prince's text message what was going through your head um 2011 world cup is a moment that you you experienced in that world cup where you you got out on 99 and sport is all you know there's ups there's downs um how did you feel when you uh, when you got out in 99 I, I think the initial experience of it was disappointment yes i mean a, a world cup 100 is something that you don't uh, experience every day but the context of the game, the context of the situation where we were under pressure, we, we lost five wickets pretty early against Ireland. And obviously, there's an expectation of us to beat Ireland quite convincingly. And, you know, they brought the A game. Uh, and so I needed to consolidate and build the partnership. I think it was maybe with Johan Boerter. And um, and then we built, we built, we built, and then got to a point where, you know, last 10 overs, you try and maximize. And even though I was on 99, I knew that, and, and this has always been my belief, to try and play for the team. What does the team need from me at that point in time? So, yes, I guess they could have been get one and then try and hit, you know, or th- that kind of mindset. But for me, it was never about me. It was about the greater purpose of what, what the team needed. And you could see the appreciation of the team when you walk, when I walked back into the change room. Um you know, playing with that sort of mindset of what does the team need? And that's always something that I encourage young kids with. Uh, it's Yes, it's great to, to have those personal accolades, but ultimately, what do you want to be remembered for? And for me, it was always about being a team man and doing whatever it took to get the team into a, a strong position. So, yes, there was a slight disappointment but ultimately, we got uh, we got our team into a, a strong position to win the game, and that's ultimately the the most important thing. I'm going to go to another World Cup, which is a big a big moment. Um, mm. We we don't talk we've not met we've not talked about this, but you're a very handy off spinner, very good in the field as well, <laughs> but a very underrated off spinner. You know, you bowl really tidy off spin. You took a hat trick in the 2015 World Cup. Mm. Beat Sri Lanka. Did you ever think when you set out on your merry way to play international cricket that you would have a, a hat trick under your belt at a World Cup? Not in a million years, man. No. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Like there was a moment there where I didn't even realize that I was on a hat trick because I got a wicket. I think it was Angelo Matthews, the last ball of my over, uh, with a, it could have been my fifth or sixth over, and then obviously took a week at the very next delivery of my first, uh, of the next over, the first ball. And I was standing at the top of my mark wanting to go. And the umpire actually turned around and says, 
this is a hatching ball. And all of a sudden, hey, things change. The mindset changed. Can I get a, a silly midoffin and a short leg and a slip? And, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden the mindset changes. And then fortunately, I don't know, I, f- I forget who the batter was. I think it was Angel. Uh, was it Angel Matthews you got your hat trick no, on? He, no, he was the first wicket in there. Oh, he was the first one, okay. I forget who the last one was. But then fortunately, I say fortunately, they played for the turn and it didn't turn. <laughs> <laughs> and it went on straight and an LBW. Oh, man, I, I jumped so high into the air. I could not believe what had just happened. You know, a World Cup hat-trick. And uh, it was just a formidable day because that was the first time really in World Cups that we had won a playoff game. So that was the quarterfinal uh, in Sydney, I think it was. And uh, we had had this history of losing games in playoffs uh, and I know we're going to speak a little bit about that as well. Yeah. But this was now the first time that we had actually taken a step in the right direction. We had won a quarterfinal. And uh, yeah, that was a, a joyous occasion for us. Um, I think we needed to score like 180 to win. We bowled them out quite cheaply. And yeah, we did it We did it uh, with a lot of confidence and conviction. I think Quentin de Kock uh, played nicely in that quarterfinal to get us over the line. Who would have thought Jimmy mm. Dooney's bowling takes his, t- takes his country to the next round? I'm not surprised. Like I said, you're very uh, underrated off-spinner. Also in that Thanks. World Cup, another outstanding performance. Very good player, this guy. Like, he's a serious, serious player as well. Yourself and David Miller hit uh, a 256-run partnership to break a previous record. I think it was for the fifth wicket, maybe. Um, yep. Both must be very proud of that both of you that partnership yeah again a situation where we lost uh, wickets pretty early and we had uh, selected our side where I was actually the fifth bowler well when I say fifth bowler between myself and, and Farhan Behadi so I ended up batting seven uh, that, that was the strategy mainly within the World Cup was they want to do our strategy was to try and lengthen our batting and I was uh, sort of positioned where I could bat with the sort of lower order. Now, and then that ended up being number seven. And we lost five quick wickets, uh, Farhan batting at number six and David batting at five. And yeah, we we ended up really needing to consolidate. Uh, we, we, we played very circumspect in terms of that initial period because there was a little bit in the wicket as well. We played in Hamilton in New Zealand. And there was a little bit of green grass on it. We got put in by, by Zimbabwe. And they nipped a few wickets early. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a testing time for us because it was the first game of, of the World Cup for us. And again, you know, playing against Zimbabwe, huge expectation of us dominating and just pretty much steamrolling them. But it wasn't the case. Uh, you know, we needed to work really hard for it. But in the end, uh, that 256-run partnership really set it up for us where I think we got about 350 in the end. But David Muller, I think he got, I got 115 maybe. He got 140 of like 90 balls. I mean, he smashed it. And you know the, the capabilities of him to hit it a long way. So, yeah, again, one of those, those moments in my career that really stands out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the moments where, where you were – placed in a position of difficulty and needing to really uh, dig your heels in 
uh, and show your metal and, and the mental capacity to get through a tough period and then obviously kick on at the end. So those moments definitely stand out. Class. The dreaded question, Mr. Mm. Dumini, that I'm sure you've been asked many times before. Many South Africans, um, I'm sure, have been asked it over the years. This all goes, goes all the way back to night. I've been watching South Africa since 1992, where the heartbreak yep. started. Unfortunately, I still mm. don't get my head around what went down that day. You know, needed 22 off 13, all of a sudden 22 off 7, and then it was 22 off one ball. Sounds dodgy to me. <laughs> um, but then the, that bad luck just followed you guys. I, I remember yeah. Tom Pollock maybe not calculating well. Boucher didn't get the, the run. Herschel Gibbs dropping Steve Waugh in the 99 World Cup. Even up until recently, uh, Grant Elliott, your, your colleague mm. currently, broke yeah. South African hearts. Um, and, uh, and he's a South African as well. Yeah, he's South African as well. Another one that's went fallen, fallen. You know, if they could, I, was, I actually tweeted this the other day, if they could bring a squad together for the last 15 years of all the South Africans that have left as well and went to play for other countries, mm-hmm. bloody hell, it would be, a, it was a, it's already some team, but how, how, how many players slipped through the net? Um, <clears throat> what, what, what's the issue? What, why, why are South Africa in these critical moments not getting over the line? It's such a great question. And I still don't have the answer. <laughs> you and I'm sure many. I mean, I've yeah, seen- we all we, we all do, and you know, there there will be various speculations about it. I I look at it and I think to myself, well, yes, there's a few things that didn't go our way. So you you think about '92. I mean, you were speaking about it now. It just doesn't add up. How does no, how does that work out, right? And then a pivotal moment in under '90, sorry, under '99 World Cup, and. Osho Gibbs with his trendy self, you know, trying to throw the ball over his shoulder and drops pretty much the World Cup. And, you know, you think of that scenario. I mean, that was just the moment that changed the game for, for South Africa. 2003, uh, calculation. 2007, played a different brand of cricket all of a sudden, you know, in a semi-final against Australia where we tried to play uh, completely opposite what has brought us success. 2011, again, came up short. 2015, where I thought was was a moment, and again, obviously, I was part of it, but I thought this was probably a game where we really competed well. Uh, again, a few things didn't go our way. Rain came, and all of a sudden, we were on such an upward curve in terms of momentum. Uh, AB and and David Miller were really smashing New Zealand all over the park and rain came and then obviously Duckworth Lewis came in and they needed 240 or whatever it was in 40 overs or something but I think about the upward curve we were going with and you know there was easily a 350 on on the go there but yes we just haven't managed to come out on top in those critical moments and if somebody has the answer to that, I would love love to know what that is. Uh, I mean, there would be speculation that we don't have the mental capacity that we choke under pressure, and those words have been thrown around. And we've needed to accept that and take hold and, and, and I guess, take responsibility for that tag of chokers um, because ultimately we did. We did choke. And the only way that... 
South Africa would would really get rid of it is when we get over the line. And I think now we're sort of in a transitional period of trying to understand who we are again, you know, from a cultural point of view, from a, a team perspective, a lot of new guys, a lot of new faces. But I believe that we're going to compete. I, I truly believe that. And we just need to compete and give ourselves a chance. And there's no guarantees in life. There's no guarantees that we're going to get over the line. But there's a belief. I, I certainly believe that one day we will. And, and when that time is, we'll have to wait and see. And it's not a case of when that time happens that you think back, why couldn't it be me? No, for me, it's about trying to find the joy in, in that moment that we are all South Africans. And we are all part of a rich history and heritage of South Africa, diverse culture, diverse background of, of a challenging background that we've have, we have come together to, to really showcase our talents as a diverse nation. And we've done it in rugby three times and we've seen what it can do to a country, to unify a country. And hopefully cricket has an opportunity one day to do the same. I hope so. I hope so because 99, for instance, I had said, I mean, along with Pakistan, I've seen those yeah. two countries in that World Cup as the, as the powerhouses. But maybe it'll be now this time round that maybe the expectation won't quite be as high because you don't have the A.B. de Villiers, you don't have the Jack Callises, you know, you don't have the Alan Donalds. And maybe yeah. the togetherness and the team come together and get it right mentally and they get over yeah. the line. I would, I would love to see it because South African cricket has always been, a, I've always been a big fan of South African cricket, as, as many people are. So, yeah, hopefully mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll see that in our lifetime, mate. Uh, South Africa yeah. get over the line and get this monkey off the back. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of your international career. You went on to play in another World Cup, 2019. That was your, your last World Cup. And you, you retired from international cricket after that. Um, I'll come back to that because before we get there, I want to touch on your kind of T20 franchise cricket. Um mm-hmm. Joined the IPL in 2009. Your bank balance improved significantly. Uh, the Mumbai Indians signed you for a nice 950k dollars. I'm sure you were smiling that day, JP. Um, you, you went on to play also for Sunrise Hyderabad, Declan Chargers, Delhi Daredevils. How was how were those years playing in this new exciting franchise? It was it was a transitional time in cricket where. Yeah, you were in a franchise setup, but playing with the guys that you played against almost all the time from an international perspective. And it was it was so enjoyable, you know, where you got to learn from some of the greats. I think back to my very first IPL experience, playing for Mumbai Indians, and all of a sudden I'm walking out to bat for the very first game with Sachin Tendulkar. I mean, as a 24-year-old kid, where does that happen, you know? Yeah. And playing with Jai Surya, uh, Zaire Khan, Harbhajan Singh, all these guys, and Sean Pollock as my coach, you know, it was it was a weird experience, but such an enjoyable one. We didn't have a great year, but the very next year we we lost in the final. But again, such a such a unique experience. And yes, the 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 money factor was was huge, uh, but just the ability to learn about about the game you know with some of the greats was was such a a huge privilege and then went on to play for taken charges where sangakara was our captain 
And I mean, uh, his record speaks for itself in terms of the quality of player he is, but just what a great human being. You know, love spending time with him off the field and just learning from him about the game, but just in life, you know. And and yeah, this is the, the beauty of, in today's age now, these various tournaments is you get to to have friendships and build relationships with players across the board. You know, you end up playing against uh, a Sri Lanka as an example. All of a sudden, I'm going to Sangakara's house for dinner during a test match. You know, those things, not saying it didn't ever happen, but, you know, it is happening more frequently now. And and that's the beauty of the game. You think about the spirit of the game that people often speak about. You think about a gentleman's game that people often speak about. And here was a great opportunity for these concepts and ideas to come to the fore where you could really just play hard on the field, but really build relationships, strong relationships off the field. And that was probably the most enjoyable experience of IPL and many uh, franchise tournaments around the world. Do you think it improved you as a an international cricketer? 100%. 100%. And, and to add to that, I, I think just your overall experience of what cricket is and what it should be, uh, that it's a vehicle, yes, to... to play cricket and play your sport but and showcase your talents but it's a vehicle to uh, experience different things in life I mean you you go and, and travel through different parts of the world and you experience different cultures you experience different uh, relationships through it and, and that for me is the main takeaway uh, yes there are great moments on the field but the standouts uh, and, and, and for me this is a majority view the standouts and what you take away from it is the relationships that you build. Awesome, awesome. Very nice to see you announce yourself. Uh, I've got Pakistani background in me, so my dad is from okay. Pakistan. Um, so I, I, I've been over to Pakistan many times, experienced cricket over there. We all know what the fever's like for it. Um, at the moment, you're not in Pakistan. It's been played uh, in, uh, in Abu, Abu Dhabi, I believe. Um, yeah. But you led uh, Islamabad United in 2018 to the title. Must have been a very proud moment for you. It was. I mean, uh, um, what's his name now? Who was our captain? Uh, Musbah. Musbah was actually the captain. So, unfortunately, he got injured the last game of the round-robin phase. And I was appointed vice-captain at the start of the tournament and then, you know, got the privilege to, to captain the side in the playoffs and then the final, which was... Pretty awesome because, uh, you know, with all that has happened in Pakistan, so the majority of the tournament was in the UAE, but the the playoff league went back to Pakistan in 2018. And we, we made it through to the final because we ended up top of the log. And I got to captain the, the team uh, in Karachi in the final. And it was such a great occasion where... Yes, it was about the cricket, but it's also about the everything around it, right? So there was a sort of uh, presentation, uh, opening ceremony type thing that, that took, took place. And obviously, Karachi was the venue and stadium packed. And there was a stage on the field before the game. And myself and Darren Sammy, who was the captain of Zalmi, 
uh, in the final. One of, previous, one of my previous guests, good friend, good man. Oh, is he? Yeah, top man. Uh, okay, awesome, awesome. But just the, the fact that, you know, I could speak to the crowd and as a captain, I mean, that was a major, a major moment in my career. And to tell them what a privilege it was to, one, lead the team, but also to be there and to be one of the, the few international cricketers that has come back, you know, into Pakistan because of the past that has is, that is unfolded was, was quite a huge, huge thing for them. And you could feel their appreciation uh, for the cricket-loving communities uh, and crowds that came in to support and yeah, it was just a great experience of the final and winning the the, the, the trophy, and uh, yeah, a, a, another memorable moment in in one's career. I've been hearing from lots of players in the media um, of the experience of being in Pakistan, mm-hmm. and it's all sounding very positive. You know, people mm-hmm. feeling safe, very very well looked after. The hospitality mm-hmm. has been great. Would mm-hmm. you echo that? Hundred percent. I mean. The, the, the rich culture there of, of cricket, uh, you know, it goes back to, to all subcontinent teams, really, uh, where cricket is viewed as a, as a religion in many ways. Uh, but to share in that experience was, was great. Uh, such humble people, uh, serving people, you know, the people around the hotel, and they just love cricket so much that they will literally do anything for you. And Yes, I mean, there was a lot of security around that time, but the experience itself of the people uh, and being able to play in, in, in Karachi was, was huge. Love it, love it. This brings you to kind of, just before I finish, you just, you know, 2019, you're still showing you've got it. Oh boy, you know, you've still got it in abundance. You were the player of the tournament out in Canada, um, where I yeah. believe there was quite a few Scottish players actually played in that, yeah. might have played in that tournament as well. But... What are you doing retiring? You, you're, you're clearly still uh, you're still hitting them well. Yeah, just going back to that World Cup, you know, uh, I came into that World Cup having played, I think it was 193 ODIs. And, you know, yes, the, the thought of playing 200 ODIs for your, for your country, I think I would have been the eighth or ninth South African to do so. Uh, you know, a young coloured boy from Mitchell's Plain, you think of that that opportunity and, and, and what that means for, for the people of the community was huge and for myself and my family. And I thought to myself, well, there's nine, there's nine round Robin games. Surely I'm going to get there. <laughs> and in the end, I ended up playing 199 because it just didn't go as I planned. You know, the first four games, I, I didn't perform really well and I got left out. And yes, it was disappointing, but I really saw an opportunity to invest into the team. Uh, and I was reminded that even though there was a sort of personal milestone there, it wasn't about me, you know, and it was about serving my team and and I needed to readjust my mindset. So uh, that was a great experience in itself, having not played well, uh, the team not necessarily playing well, but walking away from it with 199 games with such appreciation for the opportunity of 199 games you know having 199 or 200 is it really going to make a big difference in the greater scheme of things in the 15-year journey of international cricket 325 games I think it is across all formats just a huge amount of appreciation for 
the opportunity and the people that have played a part in that journey. Yeah, and then I and then I made the decision to to uh, to walk away from international cricket. And you know, I had some great success in in Canada and CPL, but you know, the transition of of not playing international cricket anymore was a tough one. Because I I always had this idea and mindset of a greater purpose playing for my country where I needed to take responsibility of that to realize that it's beyond just bat and ball. You are viewed as a role model. You are viewed in a certain way by society and there's a certain responsibility that comes with that. And I, I really enjoyed it. I flourished in it, I believe, where I knew that this was a gift to be able to to really inspire and encourage the next generation and even just people in general. Uh, so not having that purpose anymore, the idea of that purpose, not playing international cricket, I needed to understand what is my purpose for playing still to continue to play. And I found it in Canada and CPL where it was investing into the youngsters of the teams I was playing for. And really uh, guiding them and taking them under my wing as I was, for instance, like uh, Ashwell. And, and really uh, trying to walk a journey with them. And that, I, find a lot of, I found a lot of fulfillment and purpose in that, which was enjoyable. And then I, I had some, some injury concerns, uh, got injured in CPL, got injured just before the Mzanzi, the local T20 comp in South Africa. And then I just felt like there was a transitional phase coming where... I was comfortable to walk away um, and in itself then got opportunities for commentary, um, going into a coaching role now as well, which is exciting. So, so that's where I'm at, I'm at now. And um, yeah, it's still a great opportunity to invest into the game through a different lens. Uh, so hopefully I can be as impactful as I was as a player. Yeah, I'm sure you would take great pleasure in seeing a young JP Dumine coming through, mm. and, you know, mm. having a bit of a part. Like I'm sure Ashwell will feel that you know he was part of your part of your progression. Um, yeah. So I'm sure you'll be able to to pass that on to many many young cricketers coming through. You mentioned Thanks. your commentary and your punditry. I think you, you you speak as we've seen on this podcast. You speak extremely well. I've enjoyed Thank listening you. to your analysis so far on the on the PSL. Um, I want to finish. Something else I wanted to ask you that I think is really important as an international cricketer. You have a, a, a lovely young family, two, two, mm. two daughters. You spend a lot of time away from family as, a, as an international and as a franchise cricketer. How, how is that? How do you cope with that? How do your family cope with that? Because there's a lot of sports people that are in that, that situation. Yeah, fortunately, my wife, Sue, uh, we met in 2008. But what, what, what really worked for us was... We made the decision, uh, and and I guess we were in a, in a privileged position to be able to do that, where she then left her job uh, that she was busy with at the time and and sort of followed me, if that makes sense. So gave me the best opportunity to, to fulfill this career. And fortunately, she loves and still loves traveling. She actually miss, misses international cricket more than I do because she doesn't get to travel anymore. Uh, but there were tough times for sure, yes. Uh, but fortunately, pretty much every tour my wife traveled with for a period of that tour. And there were times where we didn't see each other for, I think the most we probably went without seeing one another was probably a month and a half. Uh, but 
yeah, wherever I went, she came along and we, we knew that that was the sacrifice that we needed to make to make sure that we were good and our, and our relationship and our marriage was good. And then kids came along in 2015. We had our first daughter. And to date, I think my, my eldest daughter who's turning six now, uh, 130 odd flights. <laughs> And, and and she got used to it. That that was the lifestyle. Uh, yeah. She even got to a point where she recognized uh, airlines according to color. She knew where we were going according to the color of the plane, which was quite quite enjoyable for us as a family. Uh, and then we had our second daughter in 2019, and and my entire family came with to the World Cup. My mom traveled with us as well, and it was really great to be able to enjoy those moments with them. Uh, you know, having them travel with, even though having them there can have its struggles as well, because you feel under pressure to perform, you want your own space. So navigating our way through that was, had its challenges as, as a, as a family. And we got to this point, I think it was in 2015, where we, we recognized, right, we need to set aside blocks of three weeks so, so, so my wife doesn't come on tour for longer than three weeks because we're needing to navigate through this idea of me having sufficient time on my, by myself to prepare, to make sure that I'm in a good space, but also making sure that we, we put effort and time into our relationship. So we worked that out eventually. And, but, but life changes once you have kids. Oof. The focus changes. You yeah. know, All of a sudden, cricket's not the most important thing. Uh, so the mindset shifts definitely, uh, you know, scoring a duck and coming back and seeing your two year old, you know, excited to see you, it changes things, you know? So yeah, it it was an interesting process to navigate through. Um, and it's changed slightly, I guess now where there's still a little bit of travel. I mean, I'm in Abu Dhabi and my family's back home. So I'm away for a month. Uh, I guess it would have been different. If it wasn't because of COVID, they probably would have come worth or whatever the case may be. But, yeah. you know, such is the times that we are facing. So we have to uh, adapt and, and, and find, our, find our way through it. So, yeah, we, we're still learning and, and navigating our way through it. You look, sound like you've both done very well. Sound like you've got a, you know, a great, great wife who's, a, who's been a massive yeah, she's special, you, man. Your, 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 your full career and now, you know, two beautiful daughters. So, listen... Sounds like you're doing a lot right, um, and I'm sure you'll be looking forward to getting to getting home and see to seeing them all again soon. Um, I'm going to finish with three or four quick fire questions uh, to bring us to the back end. You've been absolutely brilliant to listen to me. It's been a, it's been an Thank you. insight. My first question is: Who's the best you've played with, and the best you've played against? The best I've played with probably AB de Villiers. Uh, I, I don't even think I need to explain why. No, I don't think you do. I don't think you do. <laughs> I have to. I have yeah. to say this though on that on the. Your, I was gutted that I felt like when he called it a day. I remember that mm. test match in particular in South Africa where he came yeah. out second test and he bat, was batting in a world that is like you never see batting like that in test cricket. You'll you'll need to go a long way to see how dominant he was. But then yeah. soon after that, you know, he never he didn't, he didn't play in the World Cup. As a as a fan, it was it was it was sad because he he, he seemed to just be getting better, better mm-hmm. played. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Do you, did it make you sad that we didn't see him play a little bit more in international? 
Yeah, I, I think we all uh, were disappointed to see the caliber and quality of a player such as him not be part of our squad. But we understood, or I certainly understood his reasoning. You know, I think he just, the mental uh, strain, I think was probably the best way to put it, that it took on him to, to one, live up to the expectations, but also his own expectations. He sets high standards for himself. Mm-hmm. And I think he just got to a point where he, he wasn't enjoying it anymore. And so I understood it, you know, uh, and to see him still dominate today, you know, in IPL and, and, and the like, just shows the quality that he is and possesses, but still a great friend, still a great teammate over the years, uh, someone who I always appreciate uh, and had some amazing times with. So definitely, uh, one, well, if not the greatest player that I've played with, uh, played against, uh, Interestingly, probably Andrew Flintoff. I found him to be the hardest bowler to, to play against or to bat against. Um, he just the ability. That, he mastered that round the wicket to the left-hander, didn't he? Oh, he yes. Straightening up you know, on he, you. He just came at you consistently around the wicket. And, yeah, he just had this aura about him, you know. Uh, and particularly when you're playing against him in England, you know, he thrived on the atmosphere of of the UK and you know where were you playing and you know looking back at that way it was quite challenging. Two good answers. Who was your idol growing up? Herschel Gibbs and Brian Lara for different oh, reasons. I love Brian Lara. Both 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 amazing. Both amazing but yeah. Brian Lara same as a left handed batsman. Yeah. Yeah Brian Lara obviously because he's left and, and he was arguably the world's best at the time. Herschel Gibbs was a childhood hero of mine because he, oh man, it, it was a joy to watch. Like he just, it was so easy on the eye. You know, to see him hit sixes over cover off the back foot, you don't get many players that can do that. And he did it with ease. And I used to I used to go and watch uh, provincial cricket when I was younger at Newlands. And obviously then it was packed stadiums and even for, for domestic cricket. And he just looked a different league when he batted against the domestic players. Um, I remember fondly a partnership between him and Gary Kirsten against Eastern Province. And it was a high-quality bowling attack. And they just did it with absolute ease. You know, it's almost like they were they were having a game against one another who can hit the ball the furthest. Um, yeah, and I, I got to meet him on my 15th birthday as a as a... As a surprise for uh, my birthday, my dad had arranged it. Uh, so that was a, a fun memory as well. I hope he didn't take you to Lamed that night on a Sunday <laughs> night. Because that's where, that's where I, bu- I bumped into him a few times in my travels okay. at, at, at Cape Town. He liked, the su- he liked the Sunday night down there, Herschel. He's, yeah, a, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a great, great, great character. Um, where's your favourite country to tour? Uh, New Zealand and the Caribbean uh, for different reasons. New Zealand is just a picturesque country and it's a country where it has a rich history of cricket, yes, but you can actually just walk in the street normally and nobody will really notice you. Uh, So I'd love that about it. And uh, great people in New Zealand. The Caribbean, I guess it's the obvious one, just the the beaches. um, Again, a, a great history and heritage you know, playing at the various stadiums, some of the greats of the game. 
uh, in the 20th century coming through there and um, yeah, getting to, to meet some of them as well. Phil Richards being one of them. Uh, yeah, just, just an amazing experience. Last question. I always ask high level people like you that have played the game at the top, top level. What's your advice to any young, young boys or girls out there looking to make cricket their career and go on to achieve some of the things that you have, what would be your, what would be your advice to them? It, it will be slightly different in, I guess, the norm of, you know, work hard, um, you know, just commit everything to it. So, so why I say different is I guess I've realized in the last, particularly the last five years of my career that, being a professional sportsman or cricket, it goes so much further than just performances. And I got the best bit of advice from one of my favorite coaches years ago. And he said to me, cricket is not my life. It is a part of my life. It is a big part of my life, but it's not, it's not the main thing in my life. You know what I mean? So why I say that is because if cricket is everything to us and, you know, our lives are consumed by it, our lives are going to be a roller coaster because that's how your career goes. If you're only going to be happy when you're performing, you know, it's going to be a tough, a tough uh, journey. So my advice would be you, 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 you give your all to everything that you want to do in terms of cricket. So I'm talking about your training, your commitment, your sacrifice, you give you all. But at the end of the day, we, we have to understand that we don't have a lot of control over outcomes. We have control over our preparation, our commitment, our attitudes. And those are all tangible things that we can commit to. But when it comes to outcomes, there's a lot of uncontrollables. So surrender that. You know, and understand that there, there's a higher calling to our lives than just you're playing a game of cricket. You know, I think of myself as, as playing a game of cricket, but what's the higher calling for me is to encourage the youth, it is to empower youth through a calling that I've or gifting that I've been granted uh, in my life. And, and I believe that there's a greater, uh, greater things to come in post cricket. Um, cause I think that the greatest fulfillment is when we're serving others. And what, if we can have a mindset like that at a young age, I think we'll, we'll find more joy in, in playing the game that it's, that it's not just about performance because performances come and go. We have to understand that there needs to be a greater calling than just what we do on the field. I think that may be the best answer I've got yet, JP, when I've asked that question. <laughs> Um, I really love the part you're saying about enjoying other people's success. I think that's something that should be youngsters should be encouraged. But I think they're so determined to be the best, which is good. Yeah. Mm. But they maybe lose sight of enjoying others' success as well, because mm. ultimately it'll bring you, you know, good vibes, good success as well. Uh, mm. But it's been a it's been a a great insight, mate. It's been a, from the boy that I met, seventeen year old little pup, back in uh, mm. back in uh, you know Newlands Nets at South Africa to where you've gotten to now is, is, is excellent. I wish you all the very best in your commentary punditry career and I'll be looking out to see what you do in the coaching world. I'm sure 
Um, you'll, you'll do lots of great things. Um, I would like to hang on for two minutes, but thank you very, very much for your time today. Pleasure, man. Thank you.